What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the All Things Basketball podcast. Coming up on this episode, we got Kings vs. Warriors Game 7, which was not only a historic career Steph Curry game, it was also a record-setting moment in NBA playoff history. Steph officially holds the record for most points in a Game 7, and it came with the most important part of this achievement, which was in a win. I'm going to quickly go through my thoughts on Heat versus Knicks Game 1 at MSG. I'm also going to be talking about the Denver Nuggets, uh, start the series with a dominant win at home against the Phoenix Suns, Celtics versus the Sixers starts tonight at 7.30 Eastern time on TNT, and lastly, I'm going to be previewing this highly anticipated Warriors-Lakers round two series that starts tomorrow, which is Tuesday night. But I'm going to start this with the last game of the first round, which was the incredible Warriors vs. Kings Game 7 at Sacramento. As I stated, I picked the Warriors to win Game 7, trusting in the experience of Steph, Looney, Draymond, Steve Kerr, and just the Warriors as a whole, just being there before. And this was a game that so quickly looked to me like it was going to be Steph versus the world, similar to that Jimmy Butler Game 5 versus Milwaukee, but also looking like it could come in a loss because of how poorly... Everyone else besides Steph and Looney played on offense. Clay, he couldn't get any shots to fall. Wiggins looked solid on defense, but he also couldn't get anything to fall. Jordan Poole, he was terrible in this game. Virtually nobody showed up but Steph and Looney on offense, which was a horrible sign because it had me thinking, okay, how much longer can Steph be this amazing? Because it's looking like he's going to have to be this amazing all game long And not only did he do it for the entire game, he scored more as the game progressed. 10 points in the first quarter, another 10 in the second quarter, 14 in the third. The fourth quarter comes around, and at this point, Steph realized, like, I just got to finish this game on my own terms. He goes off for another 16 in the fourth quarter to total him at 50 points on 20 for 38 from the field, 7 for 18 from the three, and he only had one turnover in the entire game. And and side note that I can't let escape me is Kevon Looney was a rebounding machine in this series, especially in this game also. Just every rebound he grabbed, it took a piece of the King's soul, just bit by bit, absolutely demoralizing rebounds because they get kicked back out or, or obviously just just tip-ins right putbacks right but they got kicked back out at times and Steph just gets another chance right during a hot game like that just super demoralizing and it was really a game that looked like was going to go down for, uh, down to the wire for a bit but then quickly felt like a wrap once it got to the midpoint of the fourth quarter even the beginning of the fourth quarter you could say this game was a wrap I mean look at what the Warriors did offensively outside of Steph and Looney You get Wiggins, 5 for 16 from the field, 1 for 5 from 3, no show on offense. You get Klay Thompson, he was not shy in this game, but he could not make shots. 4 for 19 from the field, 2 for 10 from 3. You get Jordan Poole, 3 for 9, 2 for 6 from 3. You get Draymond, 3 for 7, 1 for 4 from 3. And I got some texts during the first quarter of the game about how this was Steph versus the Kings. And I had a friend of mine on FaceTime. We were actually FaceTiming with a couple of people at the same time. 
uh, just for a few minutes of the game and basically saying the same thing, you know, that it was Steph versus the, versus the Kings. And it was literally Steph and Looney versus the Kings on offense. Looney grabbing board after board after board and Steph knocking down shot after shot. He was ridiculous in this game, finishing at the rim, floaters, mid-range jumpers, deep threes, contested threes, anything you can think of, he did. I mean, it, it was this was Steph Curry's best game in the playoffs, and it came at a Game 7 at Sacramento. You know, you got people online saying he's the greatest point guard ever. Uh, you hear that about Stephen A. Smith after the game and things like that. You know, I mean, I don't know where he lies on the totem pole, but this, this game was just... I mean, I, I it was... It was peak Steph Curry. It was it was insanity, you know. And, and congrats to the Kings making it this far against the defending champs. You know, winning at Chase Center, right? Pushing this series to seven games, right? It, it was an awesome Cinderella story for the team. They locked in the third seed in the West. They recorded the highest offensive rating in NBA history with 119.4. They got their Coach of the Year with Mike Brown. De'Aaron Fox had Clutch Player of the Year. Uh, right, he won the award. Sabonis and Fox make the all-star team. The Kings shocked the basketball world in many ways when taking into account where they were last season. But it's time to talk about the ugly, the disappointment, the reality that was this wasted opportunity for the Kings. We love to celebrate young teams. You know, teams that were the underdog in terms of betting before the season started. Celebrating how long it's been since the last relevant Sacramento Kings run. You know, and, and oh, this team got next and the future's bright, and this and that, the all-time greats will tell you no year is promised. Like, I'm not saying that that they're, that it's over for them, right, <laughs> in the long term. But, you know, if, if any season was, was realistic for the Kings to kind of come out and maybe potentially even make a conference finals, it was this one. You know, you get an older LeBron, right? Um, you get, obviously, the Warriors were kind of reeling in the series. They had some awful for, uh, performances. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the Kings would hold home court advantage for two rounds, right? So so it was, it was looking like it could have been a, a pretty damn good run for the Kings, you know? But the reality of this whole thing is, you know, the Kings should have won this series. Even though I picked the Warriors before the series started, it after watching this series... The Kings definitely could have won this series. The Kings lost two of the seven games on their home floor. But I took a deeper look at something that stood out to me, and I'm not seeing anybody talk about. Kevin Herter was one of the best shooters in the league. He was shooting 40.2% from three, just elite. He had crazy performances in the regular season, dropping 30, dropping 25 plus. You know, this playoff series, Kevin Herter averaged 20.5% from three. Let me read you the game logs for his three-point attempts in this series uh, from games one to seven, okay? 0 for 5, 2 for 9, 1 for 6, 0 for 1, 1 for 4, 3 for 8, 1 for 6, you know? The 3 for 8 was his best shooting night. I mean, if, it, if that wasn't a major factor for how this series could have looked for the Kings alone, the only other excuses would be, obviously, Sabonis just not being able to punish drop coverage, right? I mean, they gave him every free mid-range jumper and he was not making them pay. It's not really his game, you know, but he obviously was 
was making that drop coverage a success. You know, he would miss some baskets at the rim. He was missing a lot of free throws. And, you know, obviously De'Aaron Fox is another excuse uh, that people can use. Obviously, you know, playing hurt to end the series. You know, the Kings lost game four, 125 to 126. They also lost game five, 116 to 123. Kevin Herter not even shooting average from three in this series when he was such an important part of the team's offensive success is a huge negative impact on their series outcome. And I'm not hearing anybody talk about that. I'm not saying he's the only person to blame, but Golden State benefited from his struggles from three. Like if he's just average from three, if he's shooting 35%, the Warriors collapsing on Sabonis and Fox and Monk when they're attacking the paint, it would have been devastating for the Warriors uh, to, to see a Kevin Herter shoot average from three, but instead he shoots 20.5% from three. I mean, the Warriors just lucked out from, from that perspective in terms of what Kevin Herter was not able to do when he had his opportunities. You know, all in all, this series had great close games. You know, it had some dominating wins from both teams. In the end, it was experience. It was star power in the form of Steph Curry that walked away with the game seven win. It was a super fun series. It was fast paced. It was watching two teams run similar offensive strategies. Um, you know, it was really uh, just a beautiful offensive game from both teams for a lot of times in these games. Um, there were some bonehead plays. There were some some dumb things that happened here and there. Obviously, you get a Draymond suspension. It was it. You got a lot from this series. Um, and obviously, the future is bright for the Kings. But you know, I I do look at things in the sense of hey, this was, if they get out of this series, they have a really good shot against the Laker team that can't keep up three-point for three-point, right? Against a team like the Warriors, against a team like the Kings. And I'm going to get into the, the Warriors-Lakers matchup at the end of this episode. Uh, I want to move on. Congrats to the Warriors, obviously, and congrats to the Kings for, you know, having an awesome season anyways, right? Even though it ended in disappointment, in my opinion, uh, they had a great season. So Heat versus Knicks, game one. No Julius Randle, so depending on who you ask, that's either great or unfortunate. So in my opinion, you need a solid Julius Randle if you want to win this series. You need as many bodies as you can to withstand the aggression of the Heat, okay? But I got to say, Gabe Vincent started this game lights out, and he's been so good for Miami in the playoffs uh, so far. The problem that the Knicks are going to have to handle is defending the three-point line because if they're not, we know the Knicks can't shoot threes very well, right? So if they're not going to defend that three-point line, it's going to be a disaster for them. And hoping the Heat miss those threes because the Knicks can't compete with the three-point shooting nights, they don't have that type of shooting potential. So that's going to be a big factor. Can they defend the three-point line? Can they close out on those shooters and make them put the ball down? The Heat have the shooting potential, even though they don't always show it. And when they do show it, it's a nightmare for opposing teams. And I will say this, Jimmy Butler on his usual drives to the basket, expecting there to be some good looks. Those looks from the Milwaukee Bucks series, they're not going to be there often at the rim in this series. Mitchell Robinson just waiting for Butler at the rim on help defensive possessions multiple times forcing Jimmy Butler to stop in his tracks and turn around and kick it back out to reset the possessions. 
that was huge for the Knicks. And that's something that we're going to see a lot because Mitchell Robinson in that drop coverage, he's got quick feet. He's very active. He's energetic. He's an elite shot blocker and he really goes after these boards. So this is a guy that's going to cause a lot of problems for the Miami Heat for sure when they're trying to get looks around the rim. The Knicks have a lot of bodies that they can throw at Jimmy Butler also. So when Randall gets back, you know, he's going to be physical. Mitchell Robinson's going to be physical. RJ Barrett, Josh Hart, even Jalen Brunson, you know, just a bunch of guys that can play tough, play physical. They don't allow easy baskets for most of the time in the game. You know, RJ Barrett, not a not a lockdown defender. Julius Randle, not a lockdown defender. But these are just rock solid bodies that can give you some problems when you're trying to get to the rim. You know, so often I'd see the heat though, they would get off in transition in this game. And there's Josh Hart, right? Either poking the ball away or colliding with players on the other end. This is such a tough-minded, hard-nosed, classic New York Knicks team that faces a similar Miami Heat team. And this is one of those series that, like I said in my last episode, it's just going to be a rock fight (laughs) between both of these teams. Now, for the Heat's big win at MSG, I'm looking at guys that have to show up eventually if they want to come out of this one alive. You know, you look at Duncan Robinson, 0 for 5 from 3, 0 points in this game. And the shots he took, some of them looked rushed. The other ones just unluckily wouldn't fall. Uh, You have Caleb Martin, 3 for 8 from the field, 1 for 5 from 3. You need to do, definitely has to do better on that front. Bam Adebayo was fine. But for me, he can't be fine. He has to be great, in my opinion. He has to be more aggressive. This was a good numbers game for him. From the field, you're looking at some rebounds. You know, the points are there, but I need more from Bam. You know, I, I need him to be more aggressive. If if you're a Heat fan, uh, which I'm not, you know, if you're on the Heat team, you need to see Bam just, you know, be more aggressive, be more assertive, more involved, right? Don't give in just because, yeah, I understand Mitchell Robinson is going to be a problem in the post, but you have to try to take him out of the game in terms of, you know, use your quickness, right? Bam is much quicker than Mitchell Robinson. He can, you know, he can definitely put him in some foul trouble. Um, I mean, potentially, right? Mitchell Robinson's very good at using his length, right? And and just his ability to just hold his ground, right? Um, That's a problem too. So Bam, you know, it's going to be a hard series for Bam, for sure. I'm not saying that this is some cakewalk, right? There's bodies, there's length, there's, there's height, on this Knicks team, and yeah, that's going to be a problem for Bam, but I do want to see him get a little more aggressive, even though the Heat, you know, they got away with a win on the road. Jimmy Butler hurt his ankle, but ended up playing out the game uh, in his Jimmy fashion, right? He was excellent in this game, but he logged 43 minutes, right? After carrying the Heat versus versus the Bucks in that first round, how much does Jimmy have in the tank, right? This series cannot go down that road of Jimmy versus the world. At least I don't think so. I don't think it's sustainable to even come out against a team as well-coached as the Knicks are, right? As physical as the Knicks are, as resilient as they can be. Um, I just don't think that it's going to be Jimmy versus the Knicks, right? It's got to be a collective effort, you know? And, And the Heat got a collective effort. Kyle Lowry wasn't spectacular, but he was really good. You know, he he made the shots when it mattered. He was a pest as he usually is. He's getting to the spots he, he wants to get to. 
Um, you know, you get some, you get slight contribution from a Max Struess. Uh, Kevin Love shot pretty well, so they did get some help around, right, around Jimmy Butler. So that's gonna, that's gonna have to be the case if they want to come out of this series. The Heat did their job. They won a game on the road. They're in control of the series as of right now, right? But looking at the Knicks in this game without Randall. They can't shoot like this at the free throw line if they want to win this series. 60% from the free throw line. I get that a few of those were Mitchell Robinson, who's just awful at the free throw line. But RJ Barrett, 5 for 8, you know, 62% from the free throw line. That's not good. And he's got to be better on that front. He played well, but 1 for 5 from 3, that's going to look ugly once Randall's out there. and, And those guys have cold nights beside each other, right? Because Randall doesn't shoot the lights out, right? He's not lights out from three. Neither is RJ Barrett. So you put those two out there on the court and, you know, the floor starts to look really, really packed. Um, so that that's going to be potentially concerning for the Knicks. You know, you have Jalen Brunson, who also wasn't good on that front. 0 for 7 from three, right? But he still gives you 25 points. And those 25 points were just stopping pops in the mid-range like he usually does. But he needs to shoot better from three. Uh, If you want to give the Knicks more space to operate as a team offensively, guys got to shoot better because you're having an off night. The Heat are going to collapse and they're going to let you shoot out there because they they already know you're having a cold night. So you're going to have to make them pay when the Heat collapse. Uh, Josh Hart, 0 for 4 from 3. He even airballed a wide open 3 late in that game. So not a good game from him at all. Um, He had some defensive moments, but this wasn't a good game for Josh Hart. Quickly. Right, Emmanuel quickly just continuing to struggle in the postseason. Three for nine from the field, one for four from three. I wonder if if Tibbs makes a change, right? Coach Thibodeau, if he makes a change to, you know, if they continue to shoot this poorly and maybe he decides to give Evan Fournier another chance. I doubt it because of how it's been with Fournier, right? I'm sure he's obviously the film junkie that Tibbs is. I'm sure he's thought about that. Uh, Julius Randle coming back. It can look good or bad in so many ways. And I talked about this with a friend of mine who's a Knicks fan. You know, is he going to come back with the mindset of I'm here to save the day and shoots them out of the game, right? And they look even worse. Or is he just going to get in this next game, stay aggressive, but not to the detriment of his own team, right? Because Randall is necessary for this Knicks team. He gives them second chance points. He puts opposing teams in foul trouble. If he's having a great night, He's incredibly hard to stop, and the Knicks become even more dangerous around him uh, because teams just have to kind of help each other because he is a freight train getting to the rim. Even if he can only go left, when he's on, it's it's difficult to stop. Um, I also have questions about Jimmy Butler's ankle going into game two, you know, but I think the Knicks with or without Randall, I think you know, some adjustments are going to be made. I think they play much better than they did in game one. They've had a really ugly postseason so far so i'm gonna still say knicks take game two and we're looking at uh the game three in miami uh teams tied up one to one i want to move on to denver nuggets versus the suns game one which was on saturday and i didn't preview this series on the last episode so i'm gonna preview it along with also giving my thoughts on what i just saw in game one this is a series that could easily go seven games Or it could also be a five-game Nuggets win, depending on some important things. Game one showed us what a peak Nuggets team looks like in the playoffs. It's Jokic drawing doubles. 
kicking it out to guys, knocking down their shots. It's Aaron Gordon getting up and down the floor, finding second chance points, making his shots, staying aggressive. It's Bruce Brown being a pest defensively, but also staying effective on offense, not standing around. It's Michael Porter Jr. taking the challenge when the ball is in his hands. It's a healthy Jamal Murray, right? Probably more important than anything else. A healthy Jamal Murray cooking anyone in front of him. He was ridiculous in this game. I mean, all game long, this dude could not miss. And the Nuggets just dominated this game. It was essentially a wrap halfway through the third quarter. And the Suns could just not compete with the speed, the three-point shooting. And more importantly, what I overlooked about this series, the Suns couldn't compete with the, with the Nuggets' chemistry. The Nuggets just so connected on both ends of the floor, it really exposed the Suns' lack of chemistry. And that's something that I took for granted. The Suns' chemistry was exposed in the first round. Winning some of those games without Kawhi by small margins. I mean, go back and look at that that first series. Like, yeah, you know, they won those games, right? But you're looking at those score lines, and this wasn't some runaway with the win, right? Some games, yes, they look dominant, but you know, they they kind of had some hiccups along the way. Um, you know, that series could have been much closer, even if even if only Kawhi played, right? And and that was, you know, that that tells me some things, you know. But game one. It's very concerning if you're a Suns fan. You need KD and Book to be at peak efficiency if you want a chance to win, and they were. That's the most concerning part. These guys, KD, 63% from the field. I don't think it gets any better than that. Booker, 52% from the field. I mean, that's, that's as efficient as it gets, but here's something crazy. Between KD and Booker, one made three. Just one. And only four attempts between the two guys from three. The Suns are making this a twos versus threes battle. And the Nuggets with Jokic can win both of those battles. Jokic is able to get the easiest looks at the rim with his great post-scoring ability. And he's also going to find the best looks for his teammates. You know, this was an awful Chris Paul game. One for five from three, not impactful whatsoever. He makes a couple of mid-range jumpers, but it's like, you know, it's kind of like they're holding on by a thread, right? They're already kind of getting blown out. You get Tory Craig kind of comes back to earth after an amazing first round. You know, maybe he steps up along the way. It could have just been a bad game, you know, but you have Josh Kogi, two points in this game. I couldn't even tell you what DeAndre Ayton did in this game because it felt like he wasn't even playing. There was a clip that went viral on social media of DeAndre Ayton just standing behind the rim out of bounds during a play. And Jokic is there just grabbing rebound after rebound, and he's just standing there watching it happen. I can't tell you how many times I've bashed DeAndre Ayton on this podcast, and it's not going to stop. Ayton has to prove that he's worth his contract. He talked so much about not being appreciated, about not being rewarded for his play. He has all the tools to be a great player, but he just doesn't ever look like he knows what he's doing. Like, he doesn't look like he knows what he should be doing. He just looks lost nine times out of ten. Like, the points he grabs are, are either tip-ins, like putbacks, or he just finds himself on an island, and it's like it's like everyone's just watching him, waiting for him to do something, so he just throws some BS up there in the air. You know, I'm not saying the Suns have to chuck threes, but, uh, but, they, but if they're not going to defend the three-point line, and then you're also going to shoot seven for 23 from three. 
and hope you survive off of mid-range jumpers, that's not going to happen. The Nuggets are deep. They can shoot. They can defend. And I was saying Jokic would get cooked in mid-range defense because he's a drop coverage center and he's going up against three drop coverage assassins. But when the threes are falling for Denver and Suns respond with mid-range jumpers and they also won't defend collectively, this could be a wrap for Phoenix. All in all, it's just one game. It's at Denver. We know the altitude is also a factor that people aren't talking about. It is a factor. Go and do some research. You can go on YouTube, find all that out. It is a factor. The altitude does bother, but players get used to it after a game. Um, Coaches make adjustments, of course. So I can't wait to see what game two looks like. And it's happening tonight at 10 o'clock Eastern time on TNT. I want to move on to Warriors versus Lakers. Quick thoughts as I want to end this episode as quickly as I can uh, to keep this one short. The Warriors have basically no other shot but to be lights out from three okay it's their only chance to win this series and they can very well do it they were number one in pace in the regular season so they can also rely on their speed but the lakers aren't far from that pace the lakers were seventh in pace this season so the lakers have the size they have the depth they have the defense to make this a tough series for the warriors the only thing the lakers don't have in their favor besides like reliable three-point shooting is home court advantage the Warriors have home court advantage and that's going to be a big help you know I'm so surprised that it's the second round and I'm picking the Lakers to win another series but I just value their size their depth their defense against streaky three-point shooting no matter how elite the Warriors can be at times I have the Lakers in six only because I don't think I can pick them in seven to win at Chase Center, you know, I'd have to see how the series plays out to make that decision if it does go seven. And I'm all for this series. You know, it's LeBron versus Steph again. And this time, one guy is going to be able to eliminate the other in a non-championship game. So this is all like just new territory, but like almost like a, just a revisiting of this rivalry that we've seen time and time again in the finals. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. It's going to be just exciting. I, you know, I'm, I'm comfortably picking the Lakers because like I said, I think, I think the Lakers just, just have a lot more on their side in terms of the advantages of the game. Like the Warriors can outshoot you, but man, they're going to have to shoot so perfect. I mean, they have to be damn near perfect on offense and these Warriors, they turn the ball over, they take bad shots. It can be really ugly for this team. You know, Kevon Looney's going to have to be huge, right? He's been huge and, and people are saying, oh yeah, you know, he's going to be, he's, he's going to be a rebound menace for the, for the Lakers. I'm thinking, remember he was going up against Damana Sabonis. Yes. Damana Sabonis led the league in rebounds. So I understand that, but in a playoff series, you know, where it's bang, bang, and you're seeing this guy night in and night out and you're boxing out every play. Kevon Looney plays very tough and yes, he is a rebound machine. But I think it's a different story when you're going up against the length of the Lakers. Um, Lastly, we're going to have a fun series as well. Hopefully, assuming everyone is healthy. 7.30 Eastern time tonight. It's the Celtics versus the Sixers. Celtics have the defense. They have the energy. They have the ability to create an isolation over and over again in a reliable way. You know, the Celtics have the depth. And what they don't have going against Embiid, obviously, is size. 
The Sixers have a big size advantage with Embiid on their side, but I don't think that this is going to end well for the Sixers. A team that doesn't like to play games against grimy, gritty teams. That first round series versus the Nets was a sweep, but it was a tough sweep for the Sixers in terms of minute to minute, right? Not like the end result. Like, you know, obviously they they cleaned up the game down the stretch, but that was a tough sweep for them, I think so. Um, The Celtics, they can't fall into that trap of Jalen Brown and Tatum, you know, isolation basketball. It's not their best version of basketball. These dudes have to be at their peak in terms of ball movement, finding, you know, the good shot that finds the better shot, driving and kicking, high energy, staying locked in for 48 minutes. You know, that's going to be peak Celtics. And the Sixers are not a team that can play transition defense. They're one of the worst teams in transition defense, and that's going to hurt them on those plays. You know, the ones where Embiid doesn't get a foul call or he misses near the rim and he's jogging back while the Celtics are playing potentially five on three because Harden is also going to take his time running back on defense. I think this can be a nightmare series for Boston if it's played at a slow pace because Embiid can control that tempo pretty damn well and he's going to cause a lot of problems on the interior for those Celtics but I think it's a bigger nightmare for the Sixers you know trying to stop the bleeding when Boston goes on their crazy runs and not only that but when they're turning defense into offense there could be some blowouts in this series I don't know if Embiid's playing tonight but either way I have the Celtics in six I don't think we're going to see Uh, seven game series here even though a lot of people are thinking it's gonna go seven I just think the Celtics are the far better team um, and that's gonna be my pick for that but that's gonna do it for this episode this is the all things basketball podcast I'm your host Vic Lopez as always and I'll catch you guys on the next one